Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We We are are magical magical fairy godmothers godmothers in in training. training. This week is about house elves. Or tomtes in the Scandinavian tradition. He's so cute! At 18 inches and the weight of a golf ball, the fluffy little man I saw with the hat pulled over his eyes was adorable. Man, it was the beard. In the past, aside from the occasional older woman at the airport, the people I've met with full beards have been men. Still, I shouldn't have made the assumption. She was, well, appealing. In her plum attire and long white beard, she evoked the soulful warmth and boundless generosity of a blissfully imagined Yule from a non-existent past. I guess I would have called her adorable then, if I'd known she was a she, but I did not. And frankly, at this point, I can't bring myself to. But she clearly had appeal. So much appeal that I nicked her from the hotel diplomat lobby on the way home. And that is the beginning of the story, really. You see, I'd never stolen anything before, and I never will again. I tucked her under my long woolen coat where friction bound us, wool to wool. I took her out and moved her to my bag once we were at the airport. Customs, rifling through my belongings, saw her and gave me a sideways glance before tucking her in gently, as if for a nap. After the thirteen-hour trip, I caught a cab home, dropped my luggage by the fabric wall hanging printed with an image of a western red cedar, greeted my Russian blue cat Remington, snarfed a toasted bagel, threw my laundry into the washer, and fell, exhausted, onto my mattress. Hours later, when I stumbled out of bed, Remington was gone. There is no clear way out of my apartment. After looking under the furniture, terrified, I checked the washing machine, dishwasher, and behind the hot water heater. Nothing. I even opened a can, watching and waiting, while no one came running. I canvassed the area, quizzing the neighbors. My body pounding with jet lag, I printed out flyers and posted them. Finally, returning home, I unpacked shot glasses, cards, and a book of Norse myths for friends, as well as the runes I wanted to learn to read. I arranged them on the floor to give the appearance of being under the fabric cedar. I vaguely hoped that Remington, having spent the morning evading me, was hiding at the bottom of the suitcase. No luck. Eventually, I remembered my tomte, pulled her out of my bag, fluffed her up, and placed her on the windowsill, facing out. I wanted my neighbor, Amelia, to think I was more cosmopolitan, and I wanted to make jokes about her showing her butt to my potential guests. It's the small things. 
I still felt like I'd been hit by a plane instead of flying on one, so I ordered groceries, planning to curl up with a bowl of soup and Remington. I made a nest of pillows and blankets. The soup arrived, but Remington did not. I spent a futile few minutes leaning out of the door and making <coughs> sounds before calling the shelter and leaving a description, then curling up on my burgundy velvet couch with comfort food and turning on a show requiring fewer than twelve brain cells. I was semi-pleasantly dozing, bobbing in the stream of disenfranchised dream splices, when I heard a snicker in my right ear. I bolted upright and turned toward the window as the laugh track erupted before me. No one. Just my Tomte sitting on the windowsill, eyes bright. I looked around before slouching back into my comfy cocoon and returning to the slipstream of my subconscious. I was lost in a forest, concerned but not panicked, visually surveying the environment for signs of water. Water, I was told as a child, will always help you find your way. Just follow it to a factory, town, or ocean. I heard the rushing sound of a river and moved toward it through thick trees, breaking into sunlight as I stepped onto a bank. I surveyed for the best way to follow. There wasn't one. The river was white with rapids and peaked with granite boulders. Walls of stone and dense trees lined the edges. As I stood looking, a shadow passed over me. I saw only its silhouette, an enormous bird, before I heard the laughter once more and was wrenched back into my woozy body. Abruptly glancing around, I found nothing, and so went the next twelve hours. Eventually, of course, I managed to get off my couch and back into my life. I was on call through the end of the year since I took late November and early December off to avoid Thanksgiving a political and interpersonal minefield. I put a good six hours in at The Office, my code name for my kitchen table. After calling the shelter for the tenth time to ask about Remington, I texted a friend to let her know I'd be dropping off the cards I'd gotten her in Sweden. I went to grab them from the dozen gifts under my quilted cedar. Even after the shadow passed over the window, I didn't see them there. My first thought was that Remington probably batted them under the couch. But then I remembered that Remington was missing, too. So I went through the pile again, one by one, tossing each toward the base of the end table by the tomte. My head pounded with jet lag. I called my friend to apologize for misplacing them, figuring I'd left them behind at the hotel. That night, I dreamt of Remington. I was making my way through the thick forest toward the river when I saw him out of the corner of my eye. I turned and called to him. He was gone. The foliage was swaying gently. I ran over and crouched down to look, but the wind was picking up. I stood and looked about as the sky went dark and the trees began lashing about as cold rain pelted down. What light remained was extinguished, and the darkness morphed into the silhouette of an enormous bird as the rushing river became ever louder. The bird grabbed me and I went limp in its talons as a beating drum came in, marking the rushing water's time until I fell deaf with the volume of it. I woke in a cold sweat to the sound of my heartbeat. I stumbled into the kitchen to calm myself with tea. Breathing deeply and preparing it with intention, I set it on my favorite tray and placed it on my coffee table. 
noting how attractive my Tom Tate's plum outfit and white beard look on burgundy velvet. I opened the vodka I'd brought for Chris and poured some for each of us. He'd understand that Tom Tate and I needed a drink. When I enjoyed my breakfast, I went to wrap Chris's shot glasses, but they were nowhere to be found. I'd have sworn I'd seen them under the cedar, its three branches extending over the small pile of wrapped gifts, a book, and a bag of runes. I didn't feel good about giving him just a bottle of open vodka, so I called and suggested we exchange on the 26th, then ordered another bottle online before phoning about Remington one more time. After a day of calling friends and wishing them well, I wrapped the book of Nora Smith's for my niece, Delilah, whose name I'd drawn in our secret Santa lottery, before spending the evening enjoying a significant portion of Chris's vodka while flirting with strangers in my online singles group. We were doing carol karaoke. It was just as well that my singing was drowned out by cause. When sleep overtook me, I was in a cave at the bottom of the river, watching the rapids flow above. The avian silhouette passed over me before the blues turned to gray, and an enormous eye filled the cave's entrance, the creature emitting a low, bellowing sound. I gasped awake to the sound of thunder, torrential rain running down my windows. I had no idea how long I'd been holding my breath. After a few pints of water, I made myself some coffee, foregoing the vodka, and put on jeans and my favorite ugly sweater. When I went to retrieve Delilah's gift, clearly remembering putting it under the lush cedar the night before, I found instead my runes strewn across the carpet. I quickly surveyed for any signs of forced entry. None. As much as I'd wished I'd already learned to read runes, I had not. Just then, the phone rang. Delilah wanted to know when I'd be there for the exchange. Ah, I thought, her gift! I told her I was feeling a bit run down, so I wouldn't be making it this year, and called Chris. His kids were one and three years older than she was, and he lived in the same neighborhood. Please, I begged him, I need a favor. Can you take any toy your kids don't play with, wrap it up with Delilah's name on it, and drop it off for me? I'm feeling a little run down, and I don't want to risk going over. Of course, he announced. Thank you for being responsible, and please wait a few weeks before delivering mine. I agreed. What can I do for you? I asked. Merry Christmas, he bellowed, dropping to a whisper. And thank God I don't have to touch the damn elf on a shelf for another year. <gasps> I have to go, I declared, struck with another bolt of fear, and glanced sideways at the couch, as if the tomte could not harm me as long as I didn't look directly at her. But she was not there. Chills running up and down my spine, I began the search. By the time I passed out on my carpet midway through both a crossword puzzle and my favorite late-night show, I had six large bags of Goodwill donations, three of garbage, and enough blue-gray fur to build a model of Remington. I'd scrubbed every inch of my home and found a stack of stamped and addressed year-end letters from three years ago, but no sign of the plum tomte. I was standing at a shallow pool off the river, my legs freezing from the knees down, and forest banks thick with snow, and there was my Tomte, frolicking with the other Tomtes. Their vision didn't seem impaired by the hats in their eyes. I froze in place, hoping they would not notice me. Eventually, another, with a long gray beard and green pointed hat, 
reached out with a come-hither finger gesture and broad smile. I shook my head and began to back up. He took a step closer and did it again. I continued backing up. On his third attempt, I lost my footing and went plummeting down, down, down into the river and scuttled over to hide once more in my cave. A now familiar shadow moved across its entrance, then another. When the eye appeared, I began to dig, breaking off my nails as I shuffled sand and small stones until something grabbed me by the thigh and hauled me up, flailing. I fought. When I broke the surface, I spurted awake, gasping with a short, manly scream. My first appointment was at 7 a.m., and I was kept busy throughout the day. The shelter called, but the cat they found was not Remington. The voice was all wrong. I pined for simpler times when I could just curl up with my cat. Now I felt we were both lost. After work, I drank. The world went black, as was my wish, but it didn't stay that way. I gasped asleep into my dream to an open mouth with long, curved teeth and the worst breath I'd ever encountered. I screamed in an impressive, authoritarian kind of way, and struggled, kicking and punching indiscriminately, until the grip was loosed and I found myself sinking once again. I spent the rest of the night staring back at the giant eye. In the morning, I felt certifiable. There was a vast freedom in it. I no longer needed to worry about my gifts, my rent, my sanity. All was lost, and it was freeing. I saw a child playing in the street, opened my window, and shouted, What's today? At first, he played along, also quoting a Christmas carol, and said, Eh? Thrilled that this was the first thing going well in over a week, I returned, What's today, my fine fellow? Then his dad came out and flatly replied, Sunday, and the game was over. I spent the rest of the day making art in preparation for my basket-weaving classes, then baked a dozen chocolate chip cookies for dinner and passed out with the sugar crash almost putting my eye out on the star on the top of the cedar. This time when I fought, the hand did not let go. The mouth roared instead, and the huge furry arm flung me back through the trees before I found myself bouncing, in a way I chose to see as menacingly, on the thick moss. It smelled really good, especially after the breath. Unfortunately, I could not get up. Fortunately, an enormous creature swooped down and grasped me in his talons, carrying me across a portrait of rolling green hills, sporting short, scruffy forest beards. This, I thought, is the perfect way to search for Remington. I was straining my eyes in an attempt to spot him when the creature let go, and I began to fall down, 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 eventually crashing into my pillow and waking with a jolt. After a good hour spent clinging to my bed, my bodily necessities compelled me to rise. Even insane, I hesitate to soil my nest. Tentatively lowering my foot over the edge, I chose to crawl across the bedroom floor, my fear of heights having reset its threshold to about three feet. Once I met the bathroom tiles, however, germophobia took over, and I found the courage to stand. I refused to acknowledge the fleeting streak of plum and white that flashed behind me in the mirror, or the shadows that periodically darkened the medium gray of the thundering skies. After a deep scrape, I chose to walk around the ostentatiously decorated cedar that took up a quarter of my living room, 
with its frightening number of gifts. Sleep is not a thing easily invaded. Instead of turning down the opportunity, I chose to embrace it with gusto. I drank two full pots of valerian tea and took some melatonin and CBD before putting on a supportive guided meditation. I began in my happy place and walked blissfully through the perfect garden, free of all allergens and stinging insects, and to the bank of a lake, its water swiftening and deepening into a river, the arising forest closing as a gate behind me and the huge furry hands clasping down on both my shoulders, relaxing into the grip I watched overhead as a huge sea creature raised its head from the water, grasped me in its toothless mouth and pulled me under, swimming deeper and deeper into the earth where I breathed deep of the primeval waters before waking refreshed. I tiptoed through my day, afraid to speak an unnecessary word. I had never before looked forward to a dream. I prepped just as I had the night before. Valerian? Melatonin? CBD? But instead of dream awakening in what I can only describe as the comforting arms of the terrifying, I found myself in the terrifying arms of the comforting. I was bound, wrists and ankles, to a comfy chair, and face to face with my Tomte. Hello, she menaced, pulling her hat up to unleash piercing blue eyes. Hello, I squeaked. She smiled, revealing pointed teeth. This is my family, once yours, she added, gesturing to either side of where she sat, perched on a red and white plush stool in front of the world's most festive Christmas tree. As she said it, my gaze took in more, revealing three additional tomtes on either side of her, each sporting his or her own full beard. She began on my left and introduced them as Frita, Lucian, Des, then on her other side, Anya, Edwin, and Wadsworth. And I, she added, am Greta. Hello, Greta, I said, doing my best impression of myself smiling. I could not believe my luck when you stumbled into my hotel, so I decided to steal you, she added. I'm not sure what got into me. I've never stolen anyone before. I'm flattered, I responded after a pause, my faux smile muscles beginning to ache. I was hoping to ask for a ransom, but then you offered me a drink, made me a guest, and I couldn't very well ransom my host. So here we are. You have committed both an offense and an honoring, I nodded. Your great-great-great-grandfather and I were very close until he abandoned me without so much as a thank you. Never heard from him again. Broke my heart. By the time I found him, he'd married your great-great-great-grandmother. I still loved him. She leaned close, her beard brushing my ear. But I don't love you. Maybe if we give it more time, I suggested pathetically. She glared as her posse snickered. I'll give him a roll, Frida enthused as I suppressed a look of intrigued confusion. Fire erupted behind her as a bolt of lightning streamed through the window and I woke, already sitting up. I cautiously made my way into the living room, where seven tomtes now sat in front of the slew of gifts beneath my towering cedar, its branches threatening to break through the window. I snuck away with my laptop, cheese, crackers, and vodka, 
locking myself in the bedroom for the rest of the torrentially stormy day. As I worked into the late evening, I felt myself falling and tried to startle myself awake. I could not. I landed in an enormous wooden longhouse, a fire roaring on the far side of the room with three others. The ten-foot bird sat preening himself beside the flames. The nine-foot furry man sat beside me on a wide bench, and the giant eye looked at us through the open wall, the rest of her whale-sized body wrapped around the building. I could never have imagined feeling so tiny. Minutes passed in silence. Hello? I finally said, testing to see if anyone spoke English. Hello! They all responded in different registers. I smiled, relieved. You stole a tomte, the giant bird stated. Why? Um, I thought it was cute. Clearly, I was wrong. I'm sorry, I added. You don't need to apologize to us, the giant furry man replied. I totally agree. They are cute. I suddenly wondered if the giant furry man was actually a giant furry woman, but there was no discreet way to check. The eye blinked. So, the bird continued, is it your plan to return to Sweden? Uh, no, I answered. I just went there on vacation. What did you intend to do with the tomte? Decorate my house for the holidays, I noted stupidly. The eye startled me with a horrible squilching sound that I eventually pieced together was a laugh. The giant furry person, whose gender now held a great deal of intrigue, patted me on the shoulder kindly and smiled. The bird did his best to roll his eyes, but the lack of whites lessened the effect. We would like to help you, the bird announced. Thank you? If we are to broker your freedom, we will insist on a commitment to us. You'd like me to marry you? The cacophony of laughter sounded like an overlay of 32 symphony members practicing different songs at the same time. We'd like you to remember that you are in relationship with us. You need not remain so, but as long as you live on this land, you must acknowledge the sacred of this land, us. To be honest, dear, the furry person added, you can acknowledge the sacred land itself as it's all connected, sort of like tipping your hat to our God. It's the honoring of other times and places, but forgetting us, that can become problematic and inspire misunderstandings like the one you've become entangled with. It became very difficult for me to keep my eyes limited to the furry face, out of curiosity, not licentiousness. The bird chimed in. You behaved as if you were within her domain, so you became so. But you do not behave as those who belong within her domain, so there is the offense. You did not recognize that anywhere on this earth you are a guest. Neither did you recognize that we are your hosts. Oh, sorry. I am grateful for this land. Even though I disagree with many of our political policies and cultural myths while wishing we were better players on the world stage. I swear, the eye winked. The furry person and bird put out a hand and a wing respectively, and we tri-shook. Moments later, I was once again bound to the comfy chair in the festive but terrifying Christmas scene. 
The bird appeared with a wave of wings. Thunder cracked as the walls lit up and bolts of lightning streamed down them, the air buzzing with electricity. The Tomtes momentarily cowered before pulling themselves up to nearly two feet each, then standing on each other's shoulders so that Greta, on top, could peer down at my avian friend. I claim guest rights, he noted. The Tomtes dispersed. Des got the beverages while Wadsworth passed out shot glasses. The Thunderbird introduced himself as Violet, then requested water. I followed suit. The liquid was poured and a toast to our mutual well-being was made. Violet poured water into my mouth as the others drank, since my wrists and ankles were still bound to the chair. I noticed that it was from one of the glasses I'd bought for Chris. Turning to me, Violet asked, "'What are you?' "'Your guest.' "'A guest of all land,' I said, "'before waking in a bed full of cracker crumbs "'with Remington in my arms. "'I went immediately to my cedar to thank it, "'then spent the day appreciating things I love about this land, "'like salal, raccoons, "'and the combination of peanut butter and chocolate. "'The following night I slept like a baby. "'When I woke, I stumbled into the living room "'to write up who I am, what I want, "'and what I wish to accomplish for myself and us all this year.' When I bent down to pick up my dropped pen, I realized that my name had appeared on all the gifts. One by one, I opened them. There were pictures of my ancestors, deeds to property that has long since sank into the sea, and mirrors to other realms. As always, my favorites were the extremes, the biggest a snowboard from Greta, and the smallest an acorn from Violet, with a note, when you plant this seed, you actualize your soul. Next year, I'll stay home and have a real Thanksgiving the right way. I love your story. I do too. It is beautiful in so many ways. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's so rich. And the end, really. It comes together unexpectedly and so unapologetically and so intimately into something outside of words and outside of time. And it feels very personal, but it also feels important to share. So thank you. It was very surprising to me. Like I totally thought I was going somewhere quite different and that it was going to be nowhere near that long. And I was really shocked when it hit me hard. It's an evening of crying. I cried so hard at, because I laughed so hard. I had to mute myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then I cried at the end because it was so moving. Crying is good. Yeah, I do. Once in a while. And there's something really sacred about the time, whether it's New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, the, the Yule the time of winter and moving into a new season and that almost like a life review happens and the year reflects a life review of a person and certain things come up that are otherwise buried or disguised as something else. So it's an opportunity for such a depth and such a dive, which is present through all this, looking at the birds and the, you know, and that the creatures, the deep water dwelling creatures that carry that kind of medicine of the soul and memory. The story itself, but even more, the stories within it that come together to that final moment of realization of 
what it is to be human and what it is to be aware of all the other places and times and ancestors, good and bad, and having a moment of clarity around it and being humbled by it, but also moved to another layer and into a new time, a new cycle. That's what that story felt like to me. I was also struck by the way that certain impulses that we have can absolutely shift our lives and shift our awareness and often hold, at least for a portion of the time, some kind of loss, like the loss of Remington, the loss of one's mind temporarily, but are so initiatory nonetheless. And while we might regret the impulse later, it can be a a true awakening of the soul as well and a call to a greater understanding of not only the world that we live in but the worlds that are around us as well that we don't always perceive and that we don't pay much attention to let alone necessarily have respect or honor for until its requirement so that was from my standpoint that was very beautifully portrayed it was interesting to me in writing it in that I wrote right after we did this last week. And I had a totally enraged Tom Tay. Like there was no doubt that Tom Tay was pissed. And then I uh, spoke to some people in Europe and got a lecture on how we keep stealing their land spirits and need to be working with our own land spirits. Yeah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think also we want to respect that those spirits have lives of their own and destinies of their own. And we're sometimes simply an enactor in their own destinies. And that is a way, in a way of kind of of trivializing or minimizing beings. And one of the things that I think I've learned from this week of being with the Tomtes and these spirits is understanding their place in our world in a much better way. And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.